Good morning and welcome to Valley Lights Church Online. My name is Bruce. I'm the lead pastor and uh, at the moment I'm doing things slightly different than usual. Um, I'm currently standing in my garage because we just finished um, an exhausting but amazing week of sports camp. We did this five-night program in the city and had uh, all these different sporting instructions. It was just this big effort that we did. And uh, I'm still kind of scrambling. We just barely finished a couple hours ago. And um, uh, things are not yet organized. So I'm standing in my garage. I'm actually, I've got my sports camp t-shirt on right now. And uh, you know, just for fun, you can just kind of see, this is, uh, this is my garage even actually after some of the cleanup. <laughs> um, things are quite in disarray still. So I, I would, just to suffice it to say, uh, things are not the most ideal circumstances for me at the moment in terms of my life being put together. Um, but that's okay because it kind of goes along with some of the things we're going to be talking about today. And I'm excited about that. But before we go further, I want to show you a quick glimpse of what our sports camp was like. And so check out this video.
first time that I watched that video, it actually caught me off guard. <laughs> I, uh, I, was, um, very, I was emotional and very grateful about it because um, we've, my wife and I, especially, and then our team, have been pouring our lives into this church. The church is about a year old, although it's been a lot longer that we've been praying for. We've been praying for years before that. But that video, that sports game video, really captures so many things that are important to me. Um, we've got, you know, my kids are in there, and then a lot of the other kids in our church who are so important. Um, our, our opportunity to raise next generation is a privilege that I don't take lightly at all. So our kids are in there. Also, volunteers from our church are in there, and there are, there are people in that video that, are, that have become like family to me. Actually, some of those relationships are even deeper than some of my family. And um, people are very dear to me because they are also pouring themselves out for our mission. Um, and then also in that video, you just see the mission that we're on, just the, the goal of connecting with more and more people and inviting them to take their next step with Jesus and to find God. And uh, so that video, it, uh, you know, another thing that there, there was a, if you saw some of those drone shots, there was, in fact, there's a picture of some drone shots right now. There is uh, lights. We, we had to rent big lights because where we were, there, there were no field light, floodlights. And that was very stressful to me, getting that detail figured out. We ended up renting five of those for the week, and which created an organizational headache trying to figure out how to tow them in. We also had um, two trailers that we used. We had a lot to tow in, a lot to tow out every single night. Couldn't keep anything there. Also, occasionally we had generator problems, things not breaking. Um, you know, actually, I've got, you know, we've got cuts and scars on our hands from moving those things up and down hills. It was, oh my goodness, it, that was, that was a, that was a big challenge to this whole thing. And um, when I saw the drone shots of these fields that look really beautifully well lit up. I was so grateful just to see how it it came together, like all of that sweat and and I, literally blood. <laughs> I cut my hand on one of those things, um, and uh, all of the work we put in really it came together. And there's a verse I, I think of often. It says Psalm one twenty seven one. It says, "Unless the Lord builds the house, the labors." Um, they work in vain. Meaning, basically, unless God is the one behind the scenes putting things together, it doesn't really matter how hard we work, it's not going to come together. And so, when I saw how complete things looked, and I just, you know, a two-minute, three-minute three video of this organization, the structure of this event, I was, oh my goodness, I, God clearly is behind it. And, and He's been changing lives, even this past week, through the camp. And uh, for, for those of you that have been volunteering with us, and many of you have, uh, perhaps God used sports camp to teach you something new by, um, you know, learning how to get involved. Or, or maybe you learned something by watching the way that other people worked. Um, or maybe you were challenged to sacrifice on a new level. One example of some life change is a couple named Zach and Wesley. They're part of our church. And Zach was our athletic director he helped uh, oversee all the different drills and sports for each of the different sports we would do each night. And um, he had never done anything like that before. <laughs> um, that kind of uh, 
that kind of work or that amount of volunteer work. Because uh, it was every night, lots of prep time, um, a lot of just pushing aside a lot of other things in life in order to devote um, actually him and his wife to the work this week. And it's amazing. He, uh, Zach, he, he grabbed a hold of that responsibility and he owned it. <laughs> I watched him throughout the week really own the sporting uh, drills and things that we did. And uh, even his wife had their 10-month-old baby strapped to her one of the nights as she was coaching uh, um, some of the sports. And so they were jumping and shouting, laughing and coaching and bringing a lot of energy to the camp. And uh, the reason I bring it up is because um, he would have never done that a year ago. Um, it just would have been um, too inconvenient. This would have been too much work. Like, what's in it for me? I think of probably the questions he would have asked. Those are questions, that honestly, I asked um, when I was first starting to come around church. Like, no, I, you want me to do what? <laughs> and uh, so here's another photo of him in the middle of coaching. And this is so meaningful to me because here he's coaching and, and that girl in the front is my daughter. Um, and I could see the delight on my daughter's face when she was playing this sport and um, just how excited and energized, what, what a joy she was having. And God really blessed my kids and my family through people like this. Um, there were so many. Actually, the camp was full of people whose lives God is changing and people that are sacrificing at a deep level. And also camp was full of people who are at the moment living far from God and they were getting a good taste in their mouth of church people, of people that love and care about God. And uh, all of these things, all of these things about sports camp came flooding into my mind when I watched that video about the lights, about God's provision, about his help, about my kids, just the incredible people that we were working with, all the new people that we're reaching, um, and how much we've been pouring out our lives into this church over the past months and years, and set with some good music and some good energy. <laughs> I watched that video the first time, and I, I, I broke down. I was, I was so filled with gratitude. I was working at a corner bakery at the time, and I had to step outside <laughs> and just um, get, get some time by myself and just thank God for what he was doing. You know, it's, it was an amazing week, and at one point I thought, it's, it feels funny to be running around playing sports on a field, uh, being silly and doing dances when at the same time it kind of feels like our world is falling apart right now. I mean, things, things in life and our world are just, it feels crazy. Um, and, you know, whether it was all kinds of things that are being mandated on people. Um, the vaccine is just an explosive topic. It's so controversial. And then we've got the elections, we've got the recalls on the elections, we've got supply chain crisis, we've got a lot of changes in schools, parents walking out of schools, um, people getting forced out of their jobs. Um, we've got, and, and at the same time, we got companies that can't hire people because people don't want to work. And then there's so much division and tension all over. And, you know, maybe things are opening up, you know, opening up right now compared to the way we're in 2020. But are things actually getting better? And are we crazy to be running around doing sports camp dance <laughs> when the world is crumbling around us? 
Man, uh, it's it's so interesting the the times that we're living in right now. Back in January, I was I was kind of freaking out about it because you know the elections had happened and things were starting. You know, some of these things that I just named were starting to happen, and I thought, what are we gonna do? Like our churches, um, we're just barely a few months into this effort, and um, can we even, should we even start a church? Should we even launch? I what do, you know? Should we just go into a hole or move to another state? I I don't know what to do, and I, I was I was kind of freaking out in with my uh, my mentor and pastor pa- pastor, and he said um, the answer to the question was, well, we stay the course, we keep moving forward. He he leads a church, and I'm now leading a church, and he says this is no we. <laughs> what else are we gonna we're gonna stop no, and uh, I realized okay I guess I guess we keep going, and I'm so glad for that because from January through now. Some amazing things have been built at Valley Lights, and I'm so grateful to keep moving forward. So today is the final message in our series, Hope in the Dark. And to recap, uh, this, this, this series that we're going through, I think is so relevant. We're looking through a book that would maybe sounds irrelevant. <laughs> it's written by a, game, a guy named Habakkuk. And uh, if you've never heard of him, you're not alone. Many people haven't. It's just a his section of the Bible is just a couple pages, but it's so relevant because he wrote during a time of national turmoil and international crisis. There was, on the inside and the outside of his country, things were really falling apart. And uh, it was a time when God's people, you know, Habakkuk was a part of the nation of Israel, which was God's chosen people. And they were enduring incredible injustice horrible things were being done to them. Uh, some of the most violent, ruthless, painful, disgusting, gut-wrenching things were being done. And so the first two weeks of this series, we looked at the, the questions that were raised by Habakkuk, which were, God, why are you letting this happen? What, God, where are you? What, what's going on? God, how long are you going to let this go on? I've heard people ask questions like that throughout this year so far. God, how long is this going to happen? And uh, last week, our message, we focused on the question of injustice. How long is God going to let this go on? And if, you're, if you've asked that, I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's message. But let me ask you a question now. Do you know anybody that has ever walked out on God? Somebody who maybe walked out on church? And uh, maybe they had a bad experience with Christians, and that was, it pushed them away. Or maybe something really tragic happened in their life. And uh, they said, God, how, how could God do that? Or maybe they feel totally ripped off, and of course, God is to blame. And Or they feel swallowed up in grief, and they're stuck. You know, there's lots of reasons why someone might give up or walk out on God. Actually, you would think that really horrible situations in life would cause a person to walk away from him. That seems like the natural thing. But did you know that most followers of Jesus, most of the people of God throughout history, have experienced sorrow and suffering and really deep pain? In fact, most Christians, from what I, from what I can tell, have endured not lives of peace and comfort and prosperity. That's not the norm. You know, th- what, what we have experienced in the, in the United States 
over the past century is is unusual. It's not the norm. And actually, I think that time of peace and comfort is coming to a close soon. But if you look at the Old Testament and the stories of, man, a whole, horrible things were done to the people of God. That was just normal. In fact, you know, they were in slavery. Israel was in slavery for 300 years. And, and where was God then during that time? Which is not very far from the age of our country now. The New Testament, full of people who followed Christ and paid for it with their lives and, and cheerfully did so. And then if you look at church history from the first century all the way through now our 22nd century, that's a lot of centuries, people have been ground down with pain and suffering. Story after story, you can find stories of people who are crushed, and yet they sing, and yet they sing praises to God. So we're following Habakkuk, and he's He's in the middle of the confusion. He's like, God, what is going on? He's throwing questions at God, wrestling, just really wrestling with what, what's going on. He's so unsettled. And we looked at chapter 1 and then chapter 2, and now in chapter 3, the tone changes. A lot of questions at first. But now he prays. But it's actually kind of a song. Um, in fact, chapter 3, it starts off with this. It says, Here's a prayer of the prophet Habakkuk, according to the Shigginoth. <laughs> what does Shigginoth mean? Well, that's not a word we use ever. Uh, it actually, it's <clears throat> what it means, it's, it's got this idea of having really strong emotion, this almost like a passionate singing with rapid changes of rhythm. Um, and, so there's this like really intense song that he sings. He's wrestling, but now he sings this song, and you know, his life, it's feeling wrecked. It feels like he's so distressed, and uh, he sings this song, but you know, it's not, it's not like a whiny cry-in-your-beer ballad. It's not like that. It's, it's a heartfelt, meaningful declaration that he makes. Despite all of the tragedy, all of the injustice that's rolling out, he doesn't walk away from God. He doesn't feel ripped off, and he doesn't get bitter. Even, and this is what, this is actually one of the powerful things about this book that we've been studying. Even in dreadful circumstances, I can embrace God in the valley. You know, week one, we looked at, I, I can wrestle with honest questions. Week two, I can wait on God. And now we say, I can embrace God in the valley. And he said, in verse two, he says, Lord, I have heard the report about you. Lord, I stand in awe of your deeds. Revive your work in these years. Make it known in these years. In your wrath, remember mercy. Basically, to embrace God in the valley, the first thing that we need to do is to remember God's goodness. Remember his goodness to us. And uh, Habakkuk, he does this. He says, next verse, he's, verse 3 says, God comes from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Pauron. And uh, it says, His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth is full of His praise. Those two places that He mentions, uh, Taman and Pauron, those are places that God took His people for safety after delivering them from that Egyptian bondage where they were in slavery for many years. And so this is a, that's a powerful memory, remembering how God brought them out of that. They thought there was no way out. Um, they're trying to escape Pharaoh, and it just kept not working. Finally, he gets them out, and he leads them through 
the Red Sea, the big partings of the water, just incredible things that God did. Habakkuk takes time to remember that, some of this amazing stuff that God does. He's, he, he remembers more. In verse 4 he says, His brilliance is like light. Rays are flashing from his hand. This is where his power is hidden. Plague goes before him, and pestilence follows in his steps. He stands and shakes the earth. He looks and startles the nations. Talk about just incredible power. The age-old mountains break apart. The ancient hills sink down. His pathways are ancient. And then verses 7 through 15, Habakkuk just continues to remember all the things that God had done. The way that he provided bread from heaven, um, food from, from ravens, water came out of a rock. He caused the sun to stand still. He shut the mouths of lions. He was present in other things that God did in the Old Testament. We read he was present with children in the fire. He raised the dead. He, brought, he put life into old bones. So many things that we can even read about in the Bible, Old and New Testaments, about the things that God does. That's kind of what was happening for me a little bit when I saw that sports camp video, and I just thought, wow, look at what God has done in this event, in these people, and in my life. It's incredible the way that He works in our lives. So as we remember, we end up saying, God, You have done incredible things. God, I have seen You work. I know Your power. Would You use Your power mightily again. Another thing we can do when in the valley is to declare our trust in him. Habakkuk, he's saying, you know, the enemies, our enemies are winning. They're overtaking us. And God was helping them win. <laughs> the enemies. But he said, God, Habakkuk said, God will be good to me. He will not rip me off. That's actually something that, though that statement is one that we can make in times of trouble. God, you will be good to me. You will not rip me off. I believe you will not rip me off. That's actually a way to hold up the shield of faith. In the New Testament, Paul talks about holding up the shield of faith because we have an enemy that causes doubt and discouragement and causes us to shrink back from God and walk away from Him. And why would you trust God? And look at what's going on to you. There's so many flaming arrows that get thrown shot at us. And this shield of faith, we put this up and say, no, I know God will be good to me. He will not rip me off. Sometimes we need to say it out loud because sometimes your ears need to hear the truth with your own mouth because it needs to be said because there's so many thoughts in our, in our heads. Habakkuk, he says, in verse 16, he says, I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. He's just talking about how bad things had gotten for him. And now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. And he's just, he's just remembering how brutal the situation he's in. How many people will die, even children, will suffer. There'll be a lot of bloodshed. And then he goes on to say, Though the fig tree does not bud and there's no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and produces no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there's no herds in the stalls. He's saying, we got nothing. Even though there's nothing around us, we're losing, there's, the pantry's empty. Maybe I'm still sick or my, my relative or family member just can't get over that sickness or I'm praying and are not being answered or I don't see a way through this problem or I still need a job, I can't get to figure out the finances right now, or maybe the marriage is still in shambles, or I am hurting. 
Here's what Habakkuk would say. Even though there's a dozen reasons not to rejoice, he says, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet walk. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. This attitude blows me away. To say, basically, we've been raided and I've got nothing left. And still, I will declare God's goodness. Habakkuk, we, we looked a few weeks ago about how his name, it's a Hebrew word that means to wrestle. Kind of like what, kind of like when you're wrestling, you really grab hold of somebody and em- even embrace. It's got this sort of like this dual meaning to really wrestle with God and then embrace God. And uh, he talks about these deer on the mountain heights. And so uh, I think I have a little illustration of what that kind of looks like. So check out this video. All it can do is wait for one to slip and fall. Youngsters are fast learners, and they're now almost as sure-footed as their parents. fox will have to find its meal elsewhere. When I started this video, I was talking about um, some of the ways there's like not ideal circumstances right now for me. (laughs) And my camera just died. So I'm on a different camera now. Let's see if this holds out. Uh, Okay, so you just watched that video of the deer. And um, well, it's an Ibex, actually. And uh, it's amazing the way they climb was so sure-footed. It kind of gives you a visual illustration of getting away from the enemy and just having strength and confidence even in really rocky sheer dangerous places there's this delicate way that god preserves us and uh, it actually makes me think about how when you trust god and you walk with him you can really enjoy him on the mountaintops when things are going really well but we learn to trust him in the valleys we enjoy him on the mountains but we trust him on a whole new level in the valleys. I think that's part of what he, what he intends. There may be dozens of reasons not to rejoice. And uh, it, it may say, the thought of, you know, God, you're going to be good to me, even when things are clearly not going good, maybe that just feels like denial. Um, but this is not about superficial denial. There's really nothing else to depend on. I mean, I, I would challenge you, go, go find something in life that is stable and sure and enduring over decades of life. I mean, bring, bring to me any evidence you have that there is some other rock that you can stand on. With God, 
Even though things get pretty hairy, and sometimes he even leads us through the trouble intentionally, with God, we know what we're going to get. We know what he's like. We know that um, even if there is trouble, there is justice in the end. There's goodness in the end. That he's got a plan for it all. We, we, his character has been constant through all of history so far. And uh, he may put us in the valley on purpose, but if we trust him, we will not stay there forever. Every Christian that I have known or the ones that I've read about that have really endured, they would say that they were better off having gone through the valleys. Last thing you can do when you are walking through the valley is to bring joy to your heart through song. Use song and singing to add joy. Along these lines, there's a guy who did this. His name is Horatio Spafford. He was a man who lived in the 1800s. And uh, he was a wealthy lawyer from Chicago at the time. He had five kids. And he lost his only son to scarlet fever at age four. So the other four kids were daughters and they were older. So he, he lost a son. I mean, I can't imagine. I have, I have a four-year-old. The thought of losing her would... That, I, I can't imagine what that would be like. But in 1871, the great Chicago fire wiped out all of his real estate assets. So basically just wiped out everything that he had to live on. So loss of a child, loss of all his finances. In order to boost spirits and try to recover in some way, he sent his wife and four daughters overseas to England. They were going to um, a rally. And uh, the last-minute business concerns kept him back. He didn't travel with them, and so he said, I'll meet up with you when, you get, when, when, um, when I get there. And uh, so he later got a telegram. And uh, it's crazy. His, his wife and daughters were on this boat that shipwrecked. The boat was struck by another vessel and sunk to the bottom of the ocean in 12 minutes. It, was, it claimed the lives of 226 passengers, it was, at the time, uh, I think one of the worst naval disasters that happened. His wife, Anna, telegraphed him from England, and she said, all it said was, saved alone, what shall I do? His four daughters drowned in the ocean. On the boat that he was now on, as he was going to England too, what do you do? What do you do with news like that? Many has spent many hours on the bow, looking over the ocean, looking at the water that claimed the lives of his daughters, imagining what the horror and chaos would have been as the ship was going down, people just sinking into the water. And he hadn't even finished grieving the loss of his son, still reeling from losing his life savings in the fire. Trip to England? It was supposed to be a help. Not a disaster-inducing problem. It was supposed to help them recover. And now his daughters were gone too. Could you even imagine? It's like, I can't even imagine what this would be like. At one point, the captain called him to the bridge and it said, he, he told Horatio, a careful reckoning has been made. I believe we are now passing over the very place where the ship sank. Staring into that grave, he wrote the words, a very well-known hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. This will blow you away. This song is the story of this song. Actually, the, f the first verse, it goes like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows 
like sea billows roll, meaning like good things or bad things. Whatever my lot, God, you have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It says, my sin is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O my soul. Paul, another writer of the, of the Bible, he said, our present sufferings, the things that we have right now, are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed within us. The things, for, for those who follow Christ, the things that are waiting for us on the other side are so out of proportion better than the trouble, than, even though the troubles feel out of proportion now, the good that's coming is unimaginable. Horatio and Anna, these parents, they, they experienced unthinkable suffering. Would, would this verse be true for them? Do you think that the glory coming is going to outweigh the trouble that they had now? We're going to sing, you know, in church this day, we're going to sing that song, and the lyrics are powerful. But I don't see how he could have written these lyrics with any other perspective except believing that Jesus had better things prepared. He had no choice but to let his pain drive his hope and even deeper conviction. And he is dead now. I believe he is experiencing that incredible glory now as we speak, perhaps with this whole family. The praise that we give when we sing to God and we praise him, we don't sing and joyfully and praise because of the what, but because of the who. We don't praise because of what's going on in our lives, but we praise God for who he is, his goodness and his character. Would you like a faith that works even when everything feels like it's going wrong? Would you like a faith that believes even when you can't see how it all works out? Would you like a faith that's firmly rooted even if the trouble in our futures gets much, much worse than anything we've had yet? And, and to not get bitter about God or stuck in the darkness of black grief. The focus of this song, It Is Well With My Soul, the focus is on heaven. It's not on here. It's, 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 it's about there, not earth. It's about the glory that's yet to come, not about the pain and the trouble that's right now. You know, I live in Santa Clarita, and I don't know if you've, seen the tagline for Santa Clarita, but it's uh, where the good life takes you. <laughs> the name of it, that's the tag for our city. You know, it's great here. I love this city. And just about everybody I talk to loves this city. But is it heaven on earth? Are, are things just like, am I just like blissed out of my mind? It's so heavenly. My life and this city and our world right now is just one heavenly existence. No, it's not like that here. The truth is, our world is broken. There, there is pain and there's trouble. And you know what? That is partly because of our own sin and the sin of every person that's come before us. There is so much trouble and damage and pain in our world. And we're stuck in it. We're stuck in our sin and the problem and the pain because in life just gets worse because of our sin and ultimately leads us to eternal separation from God and all those good things that our promise. And so Jesus came to free us from all of that, the sin and the pain and the damage, and he, he came to change the direction of our eternity. Trouble in life is not optional. You don't, you don't get to pick whether or not you get trouble. It's coming. 
But for those who, who follow Jesus, we have a real solid hope. doesn't matter how much this world falls apart or how unjust things become or what people do to me or to my wife or to my kids. It doesn't matter any of that. You might be ready to cross the line of faith and find an unshakable hope in Christ. You might be ready to declare your trust in Him. If that's you, let us know. We would love to help you with that. But imagine walking into the future, whatever's in store for us over the next few months, next few years, in the next decade, and I think there's a lot of change coming. Imagine walking forward with cheerfulness, lightness of heart. Rather than letting life close in over us, or the world falls apart and we fall apart too, the years ahead could actually be better than what we've experienced right now, even if there's less peace and comfort and prosperity. Regardless of what's happening all around us or the turmoil that may be existing inside you right now, the road ahead could be full of joy. You can have an incredible impact on the lives of other people too as you exude that kind of hope. People are longing for hope like that. We have the ability to just walk through horrible trouble like the Spaffords. We could walk through horrible trouble and, and yet have things eventually lead to a crescendo of unshakable hope. That's what God offers to us. It takes a wholehearted, I'm all in, no holds barred trust in God. It takes relinquishing control of my life. I'm like, I'm like control of, of doing life my way. And I'm, I'm established Jesus as the ruling king over me. And I yield to him and to his commands. That is the guaranteed source of hope and joy. Everything else is going to let you down. I, I would be surprised if you found anything that's as sure as that. Paul said, he said, our hope will not lead to disappointment. So many other things do. So I pray alongside him. He says this in Romans 15, 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and with peace because you trust in him. Then you'll overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the way that you provide. And thank you for sports camp this week and even things that just feel a little um, out of control and in shambles right now. I thank you for your goodness and I declare that you are good and you'll be good to me and the people that trust you. I pray that more and more, uh, even those that are watching now or listening now, would root deeply their trust in you. Help us to walk forward in your strength and your joy. Give us the ability to, um, like feet of a deer on just slippery, rocky mountainsides, you would give us strength to move forward in this troubling world. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.